Hi, this is Jim. Welcome to our podcast. You can find us at babyboomertales.com. There, there's links to our Facebook page, to where you can purchase our book. There's links to podcast sites where you can hear our podcasts, such as Spotify, Google Play Music, Apple Podcasts, and more. I'm glad you're here today. I really am, and I'm glad I'm here too. Today's episode is titled, The Camper Caravan. Growing up in the mountains, every fall, there would be an event that I always look forward to, watching them drive through town, and we called it the Camper Caravan. And all of these pickup trucks that had a camper shell And this camper shell had steps up into it, a door, windows, a kitchenette. Over the pickup cab, there's a sleeping space, so there's a bed there. They're really very nice. They're kind of like a camp trailer, only they sat in the back of your pickup truck. In this caravan, I don't believe we saw people pulling trailers or motorhomes driving down the road. I think it was all these pickup trucks with their campers in them and there were a lot of them I want to say hundreds it seemed like hundreds they went through town and it took quite a while one rod after the other after the other after the other driving through town on their way up to the resort town where the lake is they would do it every fall when I was little I'd jump up and down probably hold my dad's hand and point and wave, get all excited and they'd maybe honk and wave back. But as I got older, I must have been 15 years old, I came up with a brilliant idea. So I got my buddies Wayne and Dan together and I said, let's go up to the lake, to the camper caravan and meet some girls. That sounded like a perfect thing. Those Denver girls were different. And I thought it was a great idea. Since we were 15, we had to find a ride. And somehow we found a ride. And we got up to the town. And I remember it was already dark. And it was cold. It was the fall, so it was cold up there. You start getting frost very early, like Labor Day. And so the nights turn cold early in the season and went to a couple of the bars and restaurants where there seemed to be a lot of action campers all up and down the street and the one thing that my plan didn't take into consideration and I don't know why but a lot of my plans were just half-baked in the first place I'd make a plan and act on it then I get in the middle of the plan and wonder what in the heck is going on This was one of those times. Everywhere we went, no girls. Just these old folks and their wives. And everyone was laughing and having fun. And, you know, when you're 15, you don't have to be very old to be considered old in a 15-year-old's eyes. So I don't know how old all these people were, but I do not remember seeing any girls my age. We looked for a while and then with a huge feeling of dejection. There was no rejection because there weren't any girls there to reject us. But we were dejected. 
and we reluctantly decided to head for home. There was another flaw in my plan. We didn't ever ride home. How are we going to get home? Well, that's easy. We're going to hitchhike. I don't know if I said it or if Dan said it. Dan was my hitchhiking buddy so often. I have spoken about Dan before. We took a little trip to Gallup, New Mexico once. We used to hitchhike around locally. So it was no big deal. No big deal, Wayne. We're hitchhiking. Wayne was not that way. He wasn't wired that way, but he agreed. What was he going to do? Call us folks. So we walked to the end of town and stuck out our thumb with all the assurance that we would catch a ride just like that. Well, just like that turned into a half an hour and no rides. If there were cars on the road, they were coming into town and not leaving town. And if a camper passed us, they were just going to wherever they were camping, so they weren't picking us up. So we started to walk, and we walked out of town onto the highway, and there was even less traffic. Tourist season was over. Winter was knocking on our door, and it was cold outside. You could probably see a billion stars. And when it's clear, it gets very cold. Well, we started walking and walking and walking. It's 16 miles from that lake town to my hometown. And 16 miles might not sound like very long to a marathon runner. But to three 15-year-old boys in the middle of the night, in the middle of the mountains, in the middle of the fall, it could have been 1,600 miles. And we walked, and we struggled, and we walked, and we walked. After what seemed like forever, we could hear music in the background. It was up there somewhere, somewhere. And the more we walked, the louder the music became. Finally, we stumbled into this place, and they were working there and laughing, and there was a jukebox playing. And you could tell... The place was under construction, and somebody greeted us and explained to us they were building a new bar and restaurant. It was going to be called Silver Tips. We got warm there. They were very, very nice, but they weren't going anywhere. They were working. And so we probably hung out there for 20 minutes or so, kind of warmed up a little. You want to remember, we weren't wearing down parkas or anything. We were being cool. We were looking for girls. We had leather jackets on. Probably jeans and tennis shoes, no hat, no gloves. And off we went again, trudging along, complaining all the way, blaming each other for whose big idea was this, and walking, and blaming, and walking, and complaining. Well, I think we must have walked seven or eight miles and along comes a car, and he stopped. And it was Chuck. Chuck I used to call Herbert. I believe that's right, Chuck. Isn't it, Herbert? And he took us into town. I was never so happy to see a guy in my life. Now, we went to school with Chuck. Knew him very well. I believe he had a girlfriend in my hometown, and he lived up in the lake town. Or we'd probably still be walking today. There'd be a statue of three guys frozen stiff on the side of the road. And here are three silly boys thinking they could walk in the middle of October.
We wouldn't even have to be bronzed. Now today, I don't know if you would see many campers. They are few and far between. But back there in the 60s, early 70s, that was almost a preferred mode of going up into the mountains to camp was those campers on a pickup truck. Today, there's big, expensive motorhomes, fifth-wheel trailers that are very, very luxurious and nice. We have some friends that have one, and it is a nice thing. Camp trailers, these motorhomes that look like buses. But the campers, like what you saw in the camper caravan every fall, are almost a dinosaur. I can't remember the last time I saw one. That was a wonderful time, the fall there. The aspen trees all turned gold. They call quakies, so you can hear them kind of rattle in the wind. And the mountains just turn into mountains of gold from those quaking aspens in the fall. And they turn long before the trees in the Midwest or the trees in New England or the trees in the Smoky Mountains. The leaves fall to the ground and prepare themselves for winter. It's a beautiful place that you really can't tell in the middle of the night, walking along the highway, complaining all the way. Sometimes I miss stuff like that. Now don't get me wrong, I don't want to be stuck out in the middle of a highway with it being 20 degrees out or whatever, with no heavy coat on and no hopes for a ride anywhere. But wherever you're at, whatever's going on, if you find yourself in trouble, if you find yourself forlorn, if you find yourself where it seems like you don't have a friend in the world, there's always a Herbert out there to come and rescue you. I don't care who you are or how alone you are. Herbert's there. I pray you recognize that when Herbert shows up. It's going to get better. It'll always get better. Situations we find ourselves in so often are just temporary. Even if they last quite a while, they are temporary. Don't let it get you down. Get on top of it. Stay on top of it with a good attitude, with a positive outlook, with a never-give-up spirit about you. And good old Herbert will come. And now for our little short story called... The basketball game. When I was in eighth grade, I was on the basketball team at my junior high school, and we were playing a game against a junior high school that was on the other end of the county. We lived in the East School District, and our rival back then was in the West School District, and we were at their gymnasium, and it was a little what we called a cracker box gymnasium. And they were definitely had the hometown advantage on us. And our coach was the high school basketball and football coach, but he was also our coach. And very, very seldom you ever heard him say that the refs were wrong or the situation was a bad situation. He was of the old school that win or lose, it's up to you. But he got us in a huddle, and we were behind by about 10 points. And time was starting to run out on the clock in the fourth quarter. 
And he said, they're not calling any fouls on them. They're just foulness and not getting called any fouls. So I want you to get rough with them out there. I want you to knock around. I want to start fouling hard, see if they call fouls on us. And I know they're going to. But I want you to play rough. So, okay. I was in eighth grade. And I'm not exactly sure I understood the directions I was given. I went out there and I immediately threw like a cross-body block on the biggest player, knocked him down. I got called for a foul. Well, he took his shots or whatever, and it wasn't 20 seconds later, I did it to him again. As hard as I could, I put my shoulder right into his stomach and knocked him down. I got called for a foul again. This time it was a technical foul. Now the referee was the son of my dad's butcher. And I knew the guy that I was hitting. I don't know how I knew him. Later on in life, his brother became the town marshal of the town I lived in. But that was before this time. Okay, so we were in the huddle again and coach said, not so hard, I just want you to foul him. Well, by that time, I was breathing hard and adrenaline was flowing. And we went back out on the floor and I knocked him on his butt again. And I got kicked out of the game. There were technical fouls. And I remember Richard, my dad's butcher's son. I think he was a teacher over on the, in the West School District. Looking right at me saying, you are out of the game pointing his finger at me. I don't know if we had many fans there, but I remember going sitting at the end of the bench thinking, I did my job. In reality, I didn't do anything of the sort. I just got all rough and tough on a kid bigger than me, and I was protected by the rules, or he could have probably plowed me into the ground. I really liked basketball. Basketball was a good game. Our coach was a great coach. I'm sure he wondered about me sometimes. And that's my little short story called Basketball. Kindness is a wonderful thing. It's something we all should practice every chance we get. So if sometime, somewhere down the road, you find yourself where you've forgotten to be kind in a situation, just brush yourself off and determine to be kind the next time you have an opportunity. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you enjoy it, I ask that you share it. I'll be back next Wednesday.